All right, we ready to dive into part two of Elements. You with me this morning? That was weak. That was really weak. Here's where we're at. We're talking all about faith. And last week, we just started by asking these questions that seem a little bit over the top, but just go with me for a second. Like, what if you had crazy, out-of-the-box, death-defying, I'm just trusting God in all circumstances, I just believe Him, I'm willing to step out and risk for Him? Like, what if you had that kind of faith? Like, what, what if for some of us, we have the kind of faith where we have been playing it safe to avoid pain and anxiety and doubt and disappointment, and what if you were willing to just move past all of that and just, God, if you're calling me, I'm going to do it? What if for some of you, and this is all of us at certain seasons, you're going through a difficult time where it's dark and there's hurt and there's pain, and what if in the midst of that, you didn't have any compulsion to bail on God, but believe that God wanted to leverage that hurt for a better future, that he really was with you? Like, what if you had that kind of unshakable faith? What if you had the kind of faith where in those areas where God's asking you to say yes, and it's so countercultural? <clears throat> what if you just believed on the other side of that, there really was fulfillment, that whatever he's asking you to do is better, and you're just in the face of a lot of uncertainty or just willing to say, yes, God, I will go with you into whatever you want me to go toward. What if you're willing to step into uncertainty, step into the unknown? What if you're willing to move past the crippling fear that's just causing you to make decisions and draw back and really believe that whatever God wants, whatever he's asking you toward is really John 10, 10. It's going to be life to the full. Like, what if you had that kind of faith? Like, you've probably met people like that. I know you have, where you're around them. And I know what we think sometimes. It's like, man, I think they're kind of naive. Like, I think we need to give them more information to kind of move them back into reality or shake their faith back into reality because it's just, well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to believe God. I'm just going to initiate. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to risk. And I don't know if this is right, but I think God's going to be with me. And I believe this is what he wants. And you're like, dude, do you have all the information? Do you know what's going on around you? Do you know what's happening? Do you know what's spiraling out of control? Like, no, I'm just, I'm just trusting God. And sometimes you look at that and you're like, I just don't think, I just don't think you're rooted to reality, but I'm telling you. That's where God wants to take you. Not, a, not rooted in reality, but to believe him at a greater level, to have unshakable confidence and faith in him, to not play it safe. Like That's where God wants to take you. And we have the idea, as we looked at last week, that that faith is like reserved for some special group of people who get this gift of faith, and yet you find nothing to that effect in the scriptures. That if you followed and placed your faith and trust in Christ, You've been invited into this. God wants to grow up, blow up, and explode your faith in him. That's this whole movement. It's what it's predicated and founded on. So here's really the big question. How does that happen? Like, how do you develop that kind of faith? How do you move and grow up and mature your faith at that level, that out-of-the-box confidence in God? And so basically we said this, there's five elements God uses to grow your faith. Like if you sit down with anybody and you recount their faith story and all that God has done and all the ways that God has moved, you'll find five elements that'll show up in all of those stories that God has leveraged to different degrees to grow up and blow up their faith. And here's the thing about it. These aren't a to-do list. Like I wish there was. In fact, there's a lot of things in scripture I just wish, give me three things and if I do those, it's gonna happen. 
But that's just, it's just not there. It's not a do these five things and here's what God's going to do to your faith. But there are things that as you're aware and as you position yourself for these things, as you kind of surrender to God, I want this to happen in my life, God will begin to leverage. You'll begin to be aware of when he's leveraging these things and your faith will begin to grow. And so it's basically five things we started to look at last week. You can listen to this on SoundCloud or on our our website. But there's five things, starting with providential relationships, everybody's story of growing faith. It involves other people. It involves, number two, personal ministry that, and you won't understand this, you weren't here last week, but you need some I'm going to throw up moments in order for your faith to grow. You just listened to last week. Number three, private disciplines. There's a story of your faith growing and blowing when you learn the presence and intimacy of God that comes through the scriptures and through prayer. Number four, your faith is going to grow through practical teaching. The first time the scripture is actually made clear and you're willing to do something. And then number five, that everybody's faith journey includes some pivotal circumstances. For your faith to grow big, generally something big happens. And you're willing to stay in there and trust God and, and do life with other people. And on the other side of that, God has the opportunity to move your faith in a way that you've never experienced before. So here's what I want to talk about today, starting with number one, is this whole idea of providential relationships. That if your faith is ever going to really grow, if your faith is ever going to be what we just described a few minutes ago, it's going to involve some providential relationships in your life. So go to, to go back to what I said, this is not a to-do thing. Like you can't go and get a providential relationship on Tuesday. Like, all right, providential relationship Tuesday, I'm going to do that, I'm going to take this step and God grow my faith. This is, you have to position yourself for this. You have to make yourself available to this. You have to recognize that this is one of the things that God is going to use and this is going to grow and blow up your faith. That God wants to intersect some people at just the right time to change how you view him, to change how you view the circumstances around you. And everybody's faith story at some point, there's a, well, then I met this guy. And then I met this girl, and seemingly it was out of nowhere, but God dropped them in my life at just the right time, and they inspired me in a different way. They gave me faith when I didn't have the faith to go on. They led me back to church. They began to help me see my circumstances in a different way. They moved me past my past, but it was somebody else in their life that God dropped in that began to grow their faith. Here's the crazy thing. like This should just be understood, but it's not. In fact, the gravitational pull for the church and for Christians is actually to move away from this. And we get this idea of just me and God sit in a row, do a checklist, read my Bible, and that's all it's going to take to grow my faith. And yet, that's not what you find in the New Testament. In fact, here's what's crazy. The majority of the things that are talked about in the New Testament about your faith journey and about how your faith grows cannot happen with just you and God. That's kind of crazy. That in fact, God wants to and has designed things where you are going to need other people to ever get to the place that God wants to get you in regard to your faith. So my whole point is this, you have to find a way to position yourself for God to drop some relationships in your life that can change your faith and move you forward. Now, before I get there, here's the prerequisite for this. Because it's not just make yourself available and then God drops some relationships in your life. There's something that you have to do. And if you don't do this, if you're not willing to do this, God can drop a million people into your life at the right time. And those relationships will do nothing to grow your faith. You have to be willing to be known by someone. We're like, well, of course. But come on, how many relationships do you have that you're not really known? 
So let me explain this for a second, and then I want to share a couple of scriptures to make my point around this. But here's what I mean by this. For most of us, we are so, I mean, aggressive about being known for something rather than being known by someone. Like all of our pursuits, all of our attention tends to center around, I want to be known for something, but it's not necessarily around being known by someone. So here's what I mean. When I talk about like, what do you want to be known for? Everybody has adjectives that rises to the forefront of their mind of this is what I want to be known for. It affects what you put on Instagram. It affects what you don't put on Instagram. It affects what you share with other people. It affects how honest you get. It affects sometimes how you spend your money. It affects your priorities. It affects your time. But all of us, and and these aren't all bad, but all of us have kind of this focus on we want to be known for something. So here's, here's kind of a question for you. Like, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? When I was in high school, the thing that I wanted to be known for was being a great athlete. And then I realized that wasn't going to happen unless I became a horse jockey. (laughs) And so that dream died. Like, I'm not NBA point guard makeup. It's just never going to happen. Small college ball, maybe, but it's never going to happen beyond that. And then later, like what I wanted to be known for kind of matured. And they're legit things. Like, I want to be known as a great husband. I want to be known as a great father. Like you have things where I want to be known as you know, a great friend. I want to be known as a creative. I don't want to be known as smart. But all of us have things that we want to be known for. And all of our attention, in many cases, seems to move in this direction. And so here's the big question for you, and then I'll circle back around to my point. But the question is this. What do you do when you don't measure up to you? What do you do when you don't measure up to you? What do you do when you're not what you want to be known for? Or you know that you're not really what you want to be known for, even if everybody else thinks you are. See, I know what we tend to do in this gap. We tend to pretend. We tend to excuse. We tend to manage our image. And I've heard this said before, and I think it's true, but as long as you're managing an image, you're imaginary. As long as you're managing an image, you're not really you. You're imaginary, and you can't have real relationships as long as you're imaginary. You can't really be known as long as you're an imaginary person. But where there is a gap between what you want to be known for and what you actually are, you're tempted to pretend, to excuse, and to manage your image. And here's what you know, that when you start pretending, you're going to stop growing. Like your faith is never going to grow. Your faith is never going to blow up. And here's the promise. God wants to give you crazy faith, but he wants to give you crazy faith, not the you that you are pretending to be. As long as you can't be honest, as long as you can't be who you really are, God can never really do what he wants to do at the level of your faith. And all of us struggle with this. Like, can I just be really honest for a second? No? Okay, I'm I'm going to anyway. Pastors struggle with this the most. In fact, some of you, it's maybe why you left church because you have a highly sophisticated BS meter and you're like, I just don't think all of that is real because whatever I present in terms of faith and what my life actually looks like in that gap, if there is a gap, I'm tempted to pretend. I'm tempted to manage the image. I mean, it's like a lot of pressure. But you feel the same thing just in different circumstances. There's just this pressure in that gap, and it's huge for me, where if it's not there, then I just want to fake it till I make it. I just want to pretend it's there. And in fact, let's get really honest, you would prefer that I do that. 
Like, you, you want me to be what I say that I am, so, yeah, like, you don't want me to have some kind of story of, like, hey, part two of this series, we're talking about self-control. I just want to thank the elders for picking me up last night or otherwise. There is no way I would have made it in here, and I'm a little bit tired, and I'm getting a lot of sleep, so just shout out to them for, for dragging me home last night. Like, you don't want that story, right? Or if I'm coming in, like, hey, what's it, how to make your marriage better, Nicole told me, the, and I was pretty pleased about this, that she's going to give me one more shot to get this right, right? Like, you would just, you know, just lie to us. Just pretend that, like, and, and that's, the, that's where we all are. Like, and, and where is this the worst? In church. In fact, I would argue that we have created cultures where this is where it's most tempting to do that because isn't it true? Like you walk in and you just get this illusion where like everybody's marriage is great. Nobody's struggling with what I'm struggling with. In fact, it's one of the number one tactics of the enemy to do this. He wants to isolate you in your mind. And so you get into nobody has the doubts that I have. Everybody's further along in terms of their faith journey. Like you, you just have this idea that everybody's got it together and we feel the urge to pretend. Come on, isn't this true? Even if you were freaking screaming your lungs out on the way here, you hopped out of the minivan and immediately like you're smiling after you gave your kids some instruction of like, do not talk unless you are talked to and just act happy, right? And you send them on your way. Like we all have the propensity to do that. And I think the church is the worst at this. We just feel the pressure to do this. But here's just a side note. If you have kids, you just need to be aware. Your kids will out you. Your kids will expose you. It just will happen. I'm aware of this every single day. I'm going to get found out if there's a gap and I'm pretending. Like a few weeks ago, and I don't know, I'm just going to share this, but there was a kid, this is reason why you should become a CC Kids small group leader. Like they were in a little circle during one of the services, and it was like a prayer time, and one of the kids is just like, my grandma's like 100 years old, and she just needs to go. <laughs> it's like, what do you think mom and dad were talking about on the ride to church? And then another kid, this is too much information, but another kid was in, and this is what we talk about at staff meetings on Monday. Another kid was in a circle, and he's like out of nowhere. Again, I don't know if this is a prayer request. I don't know what he was doing, but he's just like, yeah, my mom and dad sleep naked every night. (laughs) All right, add that to the file. Like, your kids, your kids, your kids are going to expose you. But like, we all feel that temptation, though, don't you? Like... There's always gaps between the faith that you have and the faith that you actually want. There's always gaps between where you are and when your faith really, where your faith really is and where you um, actually want to be. And in that gap, we want to manage an image. In that gap, we want to pretend. In that gap, we want to excuse. All of us feel the pressure. And, and here's the thing. And I've heard this said before, I don't know where it came from, but it just so like resonates with me that if nobody really knows what you're like, nobody really likes you. Like I would just say this and don't tweet this because it'll be misunderstood, but like there's a bunch of you in here today and nobody really likes you because nobody knows you. 
They just know the image management side of you. They know the projected side of you. They know the Instagram you. They don't really know you. And all of our attention tends to go toward, I want to be known for something. I want to be known for something. And it actually keeps us from being known by someone. See, here's the other thing. Until you embrace where you really are, you're never going to get to where you really want to be. And so for a lot of us, if you're online, if you're in the room this morning, this is our faith. God wants you to position yourself for providential relationships, meaning God will orchestrate sovereignly, meaning he's in control, some relationships in your life, if you're open and you're willing, that will change your faith, will blow up your faith, that will move your faith out of the box, but only to the extent that you are actually willing to get known by someone. You need that. You were created for that. And I know that because you're drawn to those environments, aren't you? Like you are drawn to environments where you can be real whether those environments are healthy or not. Because it's so attractive. Like you'll even tell stories about being somewhere like, man, those people were so real. Those people were so real. And maybe they were or maybe it was the first time in your life where you actually got real with somebody else. That's why rehab romance is such a thing. And I'm not being critical, it's just, it's the first time we're like, man, I'm, I am fully exposed and fully known by somebody and it just creates a connection beyond what like they had experienced from day to day life. And my point is just this, you have got to find a way because this is how God wants to grow your faith, to position yourself for God to drop some relationships in your life and then be willing to get known. And if you are, and if you will, God will begin to do something at the level of your faith that's not going to happen any other way. Like we have the idea, and this is partly like our fault as the big C capital church, that you just attend stuff and you just get down your quiet time and prayer time and you just gather some theological information and your faith is going to grow. That's not true. You can do all of that and your faith can never, ever grow because, and this is maybe kind of shocking, as you begin to read the New Testament, and you should do this for yourself, the majority of what is talked about in the New Testament and the majority of what the New Testament explains in regard to your faith journey will not happen with other people unless you have other people. God has designed you in such a way that you and God, this is going to sound crazy, is not enough. God has designed you for relationship in your life, and it's through that relationship that your faith will begin to grow. Your faith will begin to explode. So if you're like, man, I went out of the box, crazy, God, I believe you and I have confidence in you, and you keep showing up every week, and you take a million notes in your Bible, but nothing's happening, it's because God wants to do something deeper, and it's going to involve other people in your life. You've got to surrender, you've got to position, and then you've got to be willing to get known. So let me give you a couple examples real quick, and then we'll land this plane, because this is all over the New Testament, so I just want to bring this to the surface for you. The first pastor in the first century of the first church, his name was James, happened to be the brother of Jesus. Here's how far he takes this. This is how relational this is. This starts to give you an idea of what you're after for many of you. It's not going to happen until you take this step to position yourself and to get known. Here's what James says. This is kind of a terrifying verse, actually. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Huh? And pray for each other so that you may be, what's the word? Healed. You know, for some of you, this is your story, right? That the first time you really experienced healing from your past was not this over-the-top, quiet time with you and Jesus. It's when God intersected your life with somebody else's life. And then this is, just take it a step further. 
you'll never really experience healing from your past until you allow God to move some people into your life to experience that healing. Like, come on, we're not going to do that in here. Hey, turn to the person next to you and just right now, I'm going to give you three minutes. Just confess your sins for a second and make sure you go first. Because you need to know, is there JV or varsity sin? Because that's going to that's gonna, like, really determine what I tend to share. No, we're not going to do that. And this is so many of our stories, that where God began to move us past our past, in a lot of cases, this is how it looked. God moves somebody into your life, you're like, man, they have crazy faith, inspiring faith, out-of-the-box faith. It like moved you emotionally, and then somewhere along the line, you actually heard their story, and you had the idea they had, they had this wrinkle-free life. It's the reason they have that kind of faith. And all of a sudden, at some point, they get real and you realize they have a past just like you have a past. And in fact, it's one of the reasons that their faith is the way it is now, because at some point along the way, they were able to move to a place where their past would inform them, but it wouldn't define them. They moved to a place where they understood that there is no sin and dysfunction or decision that will ever push them beyond the reach of God's grace and that God can and will leverage any hurt, pain, or dysfunction for a better future if we will let him. And it was through that interaction and relationship and story that you finally found freedom from your past. This is shocking. It's not going to happen with just you and Jesus. God has designed you for a relationship and part of the healing that you may be after and you want to experience is going to happen as you open yourself up for this. I'll never forget my wife and I going through a really difficult time and meeting some mutual friends of other people that we had done life with for a long time. They were Phil and Mary Mason. And I'll never forget that season of life. Still friends, they were several decades older than us. And it was just a season we were struggling with faith. And we hadn't abandoned God, and we still believed and followed Jesus, but we were just struggling. And I'll never forget that relationship with him and And God using that, I remember so vividly, to change how I viewed God and how I viewed me. And I'll never forget sitting in his upper room, like apartment kind of thing, and him kind of just prodding me, where I just, I wanted to say shut up, but I was too respectful for that, prodding me about some hurt that I was holding on to and carrying, and I just, I was just allowing it to kind of wreck me, and I remember he swiveled around this red chair, and he's like, you need to just right now start to let go and talk to all of those people that you're holding hurt toward, and you just need to do it with this empty chair, and just to begin to release this stuff, and I'm like, you're an idiot, and that is weird, and I'm not going to do that, and then I ended up doing that, and God, through that season and walking with them, he began to free us of some things in our past and let us let go of some things that I am absolutely convinced would have never happened if we hadn't met them. God wants to heal you, and one of the ways he wants to heal you is as you position yourself for him to bring some people in your life that are actually going to bring that healing on Jesus' behalf. Here's what Paul also says. This is a little happier verse. This is how relational this is. Some people argue that Paul didn't write this, but they're wrong. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Meaning this whole thing is a one another thing. Like you cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this without relationships. You have to position yourself for this to happen. Come on, isn't this true? We know this. Your relationships are going to lead you one of two directions. They're going to erode your faith or they're going to blow up your faith. There's no neutral. Come on, isn't this true? Your greatest regrets for most of us, they didn't happen in isolation, did they? 
There was somebody else involved along the way. Relationships are going to take you in one of two directions. And Paul's like, man, if you want to really experience loving and moving to do things and to have your faith initiate change and be willing to risk, be willing to believe God, it's going to happen through some one another's and it's not going to happen without that. For you to ever move beyond this little Christian culture where we've created, let me just preach for a second, as we said last week, where it's all about attending stuff. It's all about avoiding evil. It's all about avoiding bad. It's all about us patting ourselves on the back on. That's amazing that you didn't engage in that. That's amazing that you freed yourself of that sin. That's amazing that you rid yourself of that sin. That's amazing that you didn't engage in that kind of behavior. And Jesus is going, that's not the point. I've called you to move out, to push back darkness and do good and represent me and have big faith to believe that God can do anything. This isn't about you not doing stuff. This is about you changing the world. So be willing to move out. And that doesn't happen until you get around some people who can inspire you at a different level in your faith, that can speak vision over you, that can talk about who they see you becoming and not just who you are. For me, it was a guy by the name of Andy early on in college, and he was about 10 years older than me, and he was like the first guy, not that this is a thing, but it is a thing when you're 21, like he just projected faith in a different way. It's the first time I saw like, man, it was cool to follow Jesus, and again, that's not a thing, but as a 20-year-old, it's like a thing, and I'm telling you, he just, I got close to him, and the way he prayed, the way he dreamt about the future The way he was willing to risk and just like, man, I don't know half the time, but I know what Jesus is doing in the world, so I'm just going to try stuff and do stuff, and I believe Jesus is going to go with me. And I'm telling you, it moved me to the point where he's about 31 at the time, like, I want to live my life like that. And I knew all the verses in the world. It took one another to begin to inspire me at a different level. Paul keeps going, he says this in the next verse, Let us consider and then not giving up meeting together, meaning you've got to position yourself for this, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging, exhorting, spurring on one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Who in your life is speaking vision? Who in your life is challenging you to dream bigger? Who in your life is encouraging you in the midst of the hurt and the dark times that God's with you and that God can see you to the other side? Who's doing that for you? Like, I want to have lots of relationships, and I want to love a lot of people, but in terms of that inner circle, I want a bunch of people who just believe God at a different level, that that just dream at a different level, that pray at a different level, that are not cynical about what's going on to the right and left, and if they're not that, then I really don't want to hang around them a lot, because I want my faith to grow, and I want my faith to blow up. Paul keeps going, he says this in to a Galatian church in Galatians 6, 1, brothers and sisters, just give you another couple examples. If someone is caught in a sin, that's kind of terrifying too, who will live by the Spirit, who lives by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Again, some of you have experienced this. I was going along and my life was off the rails and God dropped them in my life to lead me back, to restore me, to bring me back to church, to change how I viewed God. Or I was going along and I was at my darkest point and they walked with me through the dysfunction, through the disintegrating marriage, through the habit that I couldn't seem to not, or just through the difficult time where I was having trouble trusting and they restored my faith. Paul's like, you need to do everything you can to open yourself up for this to happen because your restoration may be at stake. 
And then he says this, carry each other's burdens, and, it's, and then this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You carrying stuff? This is your story too, right, for some of you? There's certain moments in your life that there is a burden, there is a weight, that there is no way humanly possible that you're going to be able to carry on your own. See, this is why positioning yourself for relationship is so huge too, because there are going to be some things, inevitably because we live in a sin-infested world, they're going to be dropped into your life that right now you cannot plan for. And if you haven't positioned your life around some people who can be there for you, you're going to have some weights and some burdens that are going to be dropped on your life that you will not be able to carry on your own. Paul says you've got to put yourself in a place where God can drop some people in your life and walk with you during that time. And it may be the difference of you bailing out or you being able to walk through the burden and walk through the weight and actually get to the other side and trust God more. Your faith may be at stake. If I can just use one more, so many examples I could have used, but a, a guy by the name of Kevin, during a similar time, we met Phil and Mary going through a really difficult time in terms of faith. I've had some people inspire me, but I've had some people just walk through me when I just didn't feel like I could walk any longer. And God dropped Kevin in my life, and again, some mutual friends, and my, my wife and I got to know him, and, and during a really difficult time, like, I would call him at all crazy hours, like, dude, I'm just struggling right now. <laughs> And I don't know if I can continue to walk through this. And I don't know if my faith is going to hold up. And he just kept walking me through that season. And I look at this and like, Kevin's not Jesus, but he was Jesus to me in that season. And on the other side of it, I found that my confidence and my trustworthiness in God grew. That no matter what I'm going through, he will do something. He will be with me and he will leverage it on the other side for my good. And I don't think it would have happened without him. See, for some of you, this isn't just something you need and you do. This is also something that God has called you to be for somebody else. Like the law of Christ just means this. It's so simple. It's me, it means that God took all the complicated New Testament and he's just like, let me just boil this down and narrow the focus for you because all of you are not that sophisticated and smart, at least it's not to the level that you think. And so the whole law of Christ is just this. I've loved you. I want you to love other people the way I've loved you. That's the entire Christian journey. And so some of you have, you've walked through some hurt and some experiences and some disappointment, and you've walked through some good things, and you've watched God be faithful, and that story is a story that needs to be told, and in fact, there's some people who are going through what you have gone through, and you are the only one in their sphere of influence that can relate to them, and you have been called to carry their burden and weight through this season as a providential relationship that God wants to orchestrate in their life. And then Paul says this final verse. He brilliantly pins Romans 15, 7 to a church in Rome, and I could keep going all day, but I'm not. He says this, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Do you know why God accepted you? Not to leave you where you are. Do you know why God accepted you? Just like your, if you have kids, man, you want so much more for them. You want them to grow. You want them to develop. You want them to mature. God accepted you in Christ, not to leave you where you are, but to transform you. And do you know where you experience that transformation most profoundly? When you position yourself so that God can drop some other people in your life who are committed to and are open to that kind of transformational acceptance. Come on, this is just true. You are transformed when you begin to do life with some other transformed people that will not by necessity leave your faith in the same place. It'll change everything for you. 
See, some of you, this is how you began to understand God's acceptance. I could preach about it all day long, every week. But the thing that makes reality happen over what we're preaching and what we're talking about and what you've learned verses over and what people have spoken over your life is when you finally see it in somebody else and in a season where you needed it, they accepted you. They were for you. And it was during that season you recognized, man, I don't have to live my life for acceptance any longer. I can live it from acceptance. I am loved. I am accepted. I am worthy in Christ. I am secure in Christ. And the way that I understood that was because somebody else did that for me and what Jesus has talked about through the ages began to be real in my life and it changed everything for me. The way that many of us understand the acceptance and the worth that we have in Christ is for somebody else to show us that and literally they become Jesus in our life. You want to be transformed? Get around some other people who understand God's transformational acceptance and you will begin to be transformed. Change your life. Isn't this true? Many of us, we began a relationship with Jesus because of a relationship with one of his followers. And they walked with us and they demonstrated God's acceptance. And here we are today and people look at us and go, man, do you know what's in your past? Do you know what you did in the previous season of your life? And you're just cruising along going, I'm accepted and I'm worthy in Christ and I'm moving forward confident and faith-filled because God has taken that He absorbed it on the cross. He has given me a new future, and he's given me a purpose right now, and I have no reason to hang my head because I was accepted by some people who understood God's transformation, and God began to transform me. You have to find a way to position yourself, if it's the last thing you do, for God to drop some people and relationships in your life, and then you have to be willing to be known And I can promise you, God will begin to work. God will begin to move. God will begin to grow your faith. And without it, most of what you read in the New Testament is never going to happen. It can't happen. It's a one another thing. It is a, you need some other people in your life. But as you position yourself for it in real relationship and in real community, that's where things start to happen. Can I just give some of you hope? Man, you have been white-knuckling forever trying to move past some things in your past and be healed. This is how God wants to heal you. For some of you, this is the place where you're going to finally discover and be awakened to God's transformational acceptance. For some of you, this is going to be the place where you are moved to trust God in a way that you never thought you could trust God. You always thought those people were crazy and naive. This is going to be the place where you begin to have courage for your future that you're lacking right now. This is the place where you'll continue to carry your fear. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is the ability to move past the fear and trust God regardless. This is going to be the environments where God intersects somebody into your life and you begin to experience restoration. You begin to experience transformation. You begin to be inspired to live your life differently and just break out of the cultural bubble of what everybody else is doing around you, but you've got to position yourself. You're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to sacrifice something on the front end, and you're going to have to be willing to be known. And when you do, it's an invitation for God to work in your life and blow up and grow up your faith. This is why from the very beginning, if we could do anything, our goal was to be real church above everything else. That we don't have numerical goals here. We have goals around we want to see more and more people 
begin and just continue in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, but we wanted to be real church because we know that this is the place, honestly, at times that can work against the very thing that has the power to transform us. And so if we could do anything, we wanted to create environments to the best of our ability where we could be alternative to church as usual, where it really would be the safest place in the world for anybody to struggle with anything where you could show up and be welcomed and accepted, where you could sit alongside of the 40-year, got all of the military pins in Awana, knows all the verses guy, right next to the cynic, right next to the agnostic, right next to the atheist, where we could create an environment where people are moved to go, man, I'm healthy, and I want in a healthy environment to help bring other people along, and I want to help disciple them, and I want to help lead them in their relationship and journey with Jesus. But above all else, that we would create real church where we could work against this thing where we scream our lungs out and then feel the compulsion. We got to be something else when we get out of the Honda minivan that we sold out on and finally got, even though we said we were never going to get. Here's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create an environment with acceptance and a view toward growing faith. Because that's the gospel, right? That's Jesus. That is why Jesus invaded planet Earth and came into not just this world, but your life and your reality so that he could begin to transform you out of his transformational acceptance. And so here's the thing that I know real quick is we can't create this. We can't manufacture this. We can't, hey, go do a providential relationship. We can't have a, hey, Tuesday at 7 p.m., we're going to have our providential relationship meeting, and if you just come, God's going to do this. We can't do it, but we can position ourselves. And as we have as a church, more times than not, here's what we've begun to see people experience. They start to be around other real people. They start to actually develop real relationships. They start to actually get into a place where there's some authenticity that happens over time, and eventually there's some real friends that actually develop People that move them, inspire them in their faith, and then ultimately real faith develops. But it develops around people who are committed to creating communities and environments with acceptance and a view toward growing faith to go, we want to position ourselves, we want to be real, we want to be willing to be known, and it is an invitation for God to work in our life. So real quick, here's how we do this here. And we can't manufacture this, but the primary way we try to create and leverage how we know God grows faith is through what we call community groups. It's 10 to 12 people, and they meet in homes all over the city and community, generally in homes. They meet about three to four times a month. They study the scriptures, and they'll do that through Right Now Media, or we make curriculum available for all of our message series. And so they study that curriculum, and they meet together on a weekly basis. They go out and serve the community. In fact, this is how we kind of position ourselves in community groups. There's three things, real quick. And the first one is this social interaction. We want people to break bread and really get to know each other. Number two spiritual growth. There is something about when you hear this in here, it's powerful. God's designed us for this. But when you can get into a smaller group where you can actually ask questions, where you can hear how this stuff intersects with somebody else's story, your faith begins to grow. And then thirdly, we have it centered around intentional service because community groups are not a place to just fat cats to be fat and happy and bring their food on Tuesday night and just enjoy till Jesus comes. We want it to be a missional group. We want them to split in two years so we can create community for other people. And we want them to serve almost on a monthly basis with partner organizations in our city because information by itself does not lead to transformation. We need to be missionally moving out toward the city. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. You can't manufacture this, but would you position yourself 
would you take a step to get into a community group? On August, actually September the 10th, is our group link, 7 p.m., 5 to 7 p.m., and you can sign up online. We'll have that registration available soon. But you show up, you hear about what group life is really like, and our goal is to create a bunch of new groups on this night that can position yourself in this next season of your life to really be able to experience what God wants to do at the level of your faith. But then just one more thing. For some of you, God is calling you to be this for somebody else. And so here's my hope. Right now, we have about 30 to 40 people who are on a waiting list for community groups. I talked to one of those couples after the 9 a.m., and I was like, I am going to find you a group, even if I have to create another one, and I'll lead two. But you need to be in community. In a little over three weeks, we'll probably conservatively have over 100 people on waiting lists if we don't have more leaders rise up. Just to give you a little indicator, last, year, last week from the previous week, we grew by 200 people in all of our services in one week. And so we have a bunch of people who need to get connected into community. And so for some of you, God's calling you to be this for somebody else. And here's my prayer, is that we would have 12 new individuals or group leaders step up over the next couple weeks to go, I'm going to be this in the life of somebody else. Listen, I understand you're busy. I understand your kids have 17 traveling teams. I get it. Life is crazy. I understand some of you have been burnt out. Some of you have just, you went through a season where you're discouraged, and I get all of that. But some of you, God's calling you to give this another run and to step in to be this for somebody else. And so next week during the 9 a.m. service, August 27th, follow the signs to the next steps room. We're going to have just an informational meeting where you can find out more of what it means to be a group leader. This isn't required, but for some of you, this may help you. You can go to Connect Point today, fill out a little card about, hey, I'm interested. I'm not signing up. Like, I'm not doing any of those things, but I just want to know more. God may be leading you to take this step. And can I just tell you, you, you're probably not going to think you're ready. And we'll let you know if you're not ready. Don't worry. But you need to take a step. Generally, people who step into this never feel like they're ready. They always feel overwhelmed. They always feel underqualified. Would you be willing to just take a step of faith anyway to go, man, God may have this for me in this next season. I'm not a theologian. I've got some stuff in my past. Like everything is not buttoned up and on point, but maybe God wants to use me to lead in a healthy way other people and let us create some community as our church is growing at a rapid pace. And this is what we're all about. Not just getting butts in seats. We want people to experience growing faith. Can somebody give me an amen so I know you're with me? Just go old school. I like old school. Last thing. The imaginary you has no time for this. I get it. You have a million things. Like, how are you going to fit this in? The imaginary you has no time for this. The real you may be dying for this. This may be the difference in your marriage. This may be the difference in terms of that thing that God is calling you to step out and do and you just feel so inhibited by fear. This may be the difference. This may be the difference in terms of where God wants you to step out. And you know, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian journey is not all the things that you did. It's getting on the other side of your life and not really knowing all the things that you didn't do and what God would have done through those. This may be the difference in terms of in a difficult season that is coming up the road that you don't even know is coming. 
And God wants to use this to carry the burden and the weight that you're going to have to carry that you have no ability to carry on your own. This may be the difference in those areas where you're having so much trouble healing from your past and God wants you to experience healing. You have no idea what hangs in the balance, do you? You have no idea. And there is a gap between the faith that you want and the faith that you actually have. And in that gap, you are going to be tempted to manage an image that will cut you off from real relationship and then ultimately will cut you off from God really working at the level of your faith to transform you into all that he wants you to be. So I understand the imaginary you doesn't have time for this. The real you, this may mean everything. And so would you just be willing to take a step and could we start to maybe shift our focus and rather just than just being known for something, let us be known by someone? And as you begin to just say, God, I'm going to surrender. I can't do this. I can't go provide a providential relationship, but I'm open to it. I'm ready for you to leverage this. I'm surrendered. I want to be known. I'm asking you to drop them in my life over the next couple months. I want you to begin to grow up and blow up my faith. And when you position yourself and when you're willing to get real, your faith will become more real than it ever has been in your life. So I just want to close with this, and this is my admonition last week. Please stop praying for a movement of God. And please stop praying for God to move your faith. Just move. And please stop. Can I just, I love you, but can I just press you? Please stop hiding behind the fact that you're waiting on God. Truth be told, God's waiting on you. And the faith journey, it is difficult. But I'm telling you, God is not about making it impossible. And the difference between those who are experiencing growing, blowing up faith is not because they're better and it's not because they're more spiritual. It's because they were willing with knees wobbling and all the insecurity to say, I'm just going to take a step. And as they did, God began to work. So what's the step? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to position yourself for community? Are you willing to surrender to be known by someone? And it may make all the difference in terms of what you're praying and hoping hoping God will do in this next season of your life. Could we just begin to pray about and come around taking steps as a church where we would be known as a revolutionary group of Jesus followers who have big faith, who lift our heads up, who see God in all of his majesty and glory to believe that he is going to do everything he said he's going to do, confident that he is who he says he is, that we can trust him in all circumstances. And we're not just going to sing about it. We're not just going to talk about it. We are going to take steps to activate it in our life. God would change our community. People are looking to look in at a group of people who don't just talk about a gospel of transformation. They're actually transformed. And when people see that, it's almost irresistible, isn't it? Would you guys just pray with me? Stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that you are good. And we thank you, believing in faith, that all over these services and campuses over these weeks, you are going to do some things at the level of our faith that are going to change the trajectory of our life. So help us, Lord, to just move past the fear, move past the insecurity, move past the excuses. I pray for the men in this room where sometimes it's most difficult for us that we would just get a little glimpse into what may be at stake and we'd stop talking about stuff, we'd stop feeling emotional, spiritual feelings when we walk out and somehow associating conviction with actual change 
and we would do something. And we're praying that, this is a big prayer, praying that through even these weeks, you would begin to ignite something at the level of our faith that would change our homes and change our neighborhoods and change our community. God, do your thing. We pray for the courage of different people in different circumstances right now to just surrender where they need to surrender, and we pray that you would do what only you can do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.